www.ebonyradio.com or call 908-227-9065 to plan your next event. WQHT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. We're talking about the Eric Garner case and the critical issues it raises about race, justice, and police in our communities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Post your comments on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, or Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live, hashtag Eric Garner. And you know what to do now. Text your family and friends also. Tell them to tune in. You don't want them to miss this show. If they're away from a radio or out of the tri-state, they can listen to our show on the live stream on hot97.com or listen on any phone using the TuneIn or iHeartRadio app. You can also hear the show right after we're off the air again as many times as you want on lisaevers.com. And I'm opening our phone lines right now. Hit Rose up at 1-800-223-9797. That's one 800 223 Ninety-seven, ninety-seven, And our question for you is this. Now that we've seen no charges against police officers in the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner, do you trust the system? 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Or maybe you're one of the people who is charged with enforcing the laws of the system like a police officer. We want to hear from you too at one 800 223 Ninety-seven, ninety-seven. That's one eight hundred two two three, ninety-seven, ninety-seven. It has been an emotional two weeks for millions of people in our country. Anger and outrage over grand jury decisions not to charge police officers. First in Ferguson in the Michael Brown case, and then this past Wednesday in the apparent chokehold death of Eric Garner on Staten Island. Many believe the video of Garner being put in what Police Commissioner Bratton initially called a chokehold taken down and then left unattended and ignored by paramedics who showed up. Well, a lot of people thought that that would have resulted in some charges against police officer Daniel Pantaleo, who's also a Staten Island resident. But despite the video evidence, the grand jury decided not to charge him. And a lot of us are asking, how can this be? That's what we were talking about on Flex's show this week. That's what I was talking about with Ebro in the AM here on Hot 97. You know, our station was all over this. It's, it's a question that a lot of people are wondering, and I'm going to be putting to our panel and to our guests. It's a question raised by tens of thousands of protesters in demonstrations and walkouts all across the country, mostly peaceful, except for what we saw in Ferguson and some other sporadic outbreaks of violence. All of those acts of violence condemned by the families of the men whose lives were lost and are at the center of this case. The Garner family pleading for peace as people protest. Michael Brown's parents even went so far as to do a public service announcement to try and encourage people to uh, demonstrate peacefully. And so that's what we're talking about with you and with our panel, 1-800-223-9797. What do you think? Did the system work? Can the system work? What do we need to do to repair the bond between police and community? 1-800-223-9797. On Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live. Hashtag Eric Garner. And let me introduce our panel to you right now. Joining us is Charles F. Coleman Jr. He's a former prosecutor with the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, a federal civil rights trial attorney, columnist for Ebony.com, and a TV and radio legal commentator. Charles, thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Also with us is Jane Velez Mitchell. You remember her from HLN. She's a former HLN anchor with a very hot talk show. Now she has a very hot website called janeunchained.com. She's a TV journalist, best-selling author, and she covers crimes against people, animals, and the environment. Jane, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. We We appreciate it. Also with us is Israel Rivera. He is a college student Wilson. Yeah. Wilson. Okay, thanks. Sorry about that. I know Israel Rivera. <laughs> Shout to Israel Rivera in the Bronx. Israel Wilson, the college student and activist, and we're going to be talking with him about he fe- about how he feels about the protests and also the system as well. But first, I want to start with Emerald Snipes. She is the daughter of Eric Garner, and she did her first interview here with us on Hot 97 shortly after she lost her father in that terrible incident in Staten Island. Emerald, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate yes, it. thank you for having me. How is your family feeling after the grand jury decision now? Everyone just has mixed emotions. You know, everyone's very disappointed. Um, 
you know, it's, it's just a big disappointment. Everyone is, you know, trying to keep things alive. Um, you know, the federal government is stepping in, so that's a, a brighter look for us. And do you have faith that the federal government will do something that the uh, state grand jury in Staten Island did not do? Yes, I do. I do believe so because, I mean, you know, we all saw the video. So, you know, people across the nation, you know, people, I have pictures and stuff like, you know, people outside the Eiffel Tower and stuff, you know. So, like, it's, it's a national thing. So something has to change, you know, something has to be done. Now, your mother uh, has said that she said yesterday with Reverend Al Sharpton that she was very, very moved by all of the protests, hash, the hashtag Eric Garner, by all the protests, that she, the peaceful protests that she's yes. seen, seen around the country. Tell me about that. Yes, I am so proud of, you know, the peaceful protests. You know, we have them all over the place. Like I said, in Paris, they're in front of the Eiffel Tower, and they're peaceful. You know, our march in Staten Island was peaceful. We're having a march on the 13th, and that one will be peaceful. I have faith in my people that they're like, you know, it's not a black and white thing. They have all different types of races. So, you know, all of everyone should be at that, that march because we're protesting peacefully. And I'm so proud of the youth. I'm proud of everyone, you know, just out doing everything in a, in a good way. You know, nobody's destroying the city. And you want people that you want it to keep that way. Yes, you want to keep it that way because you don't want to destroy where you live because you have to live there. So, you know, you want to keep your neighborhood in order. So if I encourage everybody, you know, keep everybody on the same page. If you see somebody acting up, be like, listen, we're not here for that. Let's just keep the cause because my father was never a violent man, ever. And you want that his memory, you don't think he would approve of anybody doing anything crazy? He would not approve of it at all. He would not approve of it. Even when I fight with my siblings, he would not approve of it. That y'all don't need to fight each other. You know what I mean? That's always what he said. And Emerald, are you going to be with that march that starts next uh, next Saturday, the march to Washington? Yes, Washington? I will be front and center. We have buses leaving from all over. Contact National Action Network to get yourself on a bus. We, um, we're, we're, I'm going to be front and center. I'm going to be right at the front because, you know, people went out there and they did that for me. So I have to come back out there and march with them. All right, and well, I have faith that, they'll be, that they will be peaceful. Everybody will be peaceful. I have so much faith in everyone. All right. Well, I think that's wonderful. And Emerald, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate you giving your first interview in the summer to hear to us on Hot 97 Street Soldiers. We appreciate your support in August in Brooklyn at Push for Peace um, with our efforts there against violence. And and we we really appreciate that. And, And again, our condolences and our support go out to you and your family. Thank you so much, Lisa. All right, babe. Thank you so much. That's Emerald Snipes, daughter of Eric Garner. 1-800-223-9797. On Twitter, at Lisa Evers, the gram. Lisa Evers Live, hashtag Eric Garner. And we're talking about the police and the community. Do you trust the system after what happened? Charles F. Coleman, you're an attorney. You study these things. You do these things. You're in the courthouse. How could this happen with the grand jury? That's what people want to know. You know, the grand juries are really, as with any jury, some... It could be an enigma um, because you're dealing with 12 to 18 strangers who you've never seen before. You never know what's going to be important to them. I think the thing that sort of shocks the conscience of most individuals here with respect to the grand jury and their decision on a no true bill is the fact that we all saw the video. You know, we all saw the video. We, we, you know, and I think with respect to common sensibility, it seems very open shut. The thing that people have to remember is, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, well, it was ruled a homicide by the medical examiner. How could this not result in In any charges? (laughs) Right. The first thing people have to understand is that when a medical examiner, you know, designates something as a homicide, a death as a homicide, all they're saying is that the person was killed not of their own hands, that the person's life was taken. It does not make any sort of commentary on the criminal nature of it. And that's why the grand jury was called was their their purpose was to determine whether someone was criminally responsible for the death of Eric Garner. And in this case, for whatever reason, they decided that he was not. And in, in, in the key with this grand jury is that a lot of it dealt with the intent of Pantaleo. That was really the, the, the subject of it. It wasn't the, the standard who done it. We don't know who did it. We have to sort of figure out whether it's more likely than not that this person is responsible. It was solely about the intent because we know that Eric Garner died uh, basically because of, of being strangled or because of the, the chokehold. Right. Um, 
And we know that Daniel Pantaleo was the person who was responsible for that. The question was, was his intent criminal or did it rise to a level of of being criminally liable? And based off of whatever evidence the grand jury saw, which we have limited information about, uh, they decided no. Do you think the fact that he testified before the grand jury and that he's a Staten Island resident and then he went there and apparently said if his his statement that he released is similar to what he testified to, that he did not go out to kill anybody that day, he was executing his duties, do grand juries cut police officers a wider berth, so to speak, when uh, in the execution of their duties? Absolutely. I think that some of the points you've just hit on are critical when you're looking at what the grand jury ultimately decided, the first of which is the demographic of Staten Island. Uh, for those listeners who may not be aware, Staten Island has a very significant number of civil servants and families that are supported by civil servants. And so there may have been some allegiance there that caused them to sort of support Pantaleo in terms of what he was arguing in terms of his position. The other thing from a psychological standpoint is that we give police officers a fair amount of latitude in terms of their level of discretion on the job uh, combating crime. And so if they if, if an officer says that he felt threatened or this is the force that he thought was necessary to use. In most people's minds, we're thinking, well, that's an officer who's trained, and so if that's what they're saying or that's what they're alleging, then we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so I think that that may have played a role with respect to this. And so when the officer testifies, and with this being a case almost solely, a presentation almost solely about his intent, if he goes in there and says, I didn't intend to do this when I first woke up or went on the job or approached Mr. Garner, then I think that that's something that's going to play a role in how they ultimately made their decision. All right, Jane Velez Mitchell, content editor and founder of JaneUnchained.com. What, what concerns you most about this case? Well, what concerns me most about all of this is the political orthodoxy. Everybody, it seems, is being told, you have to take sides on this issue, and you better not deviate from the talking point that either side is handed down. And frankly, I'm sick of it. I think that uh, most Americans are sick of the polarization in this country where we have to choose sides when indeed, in most cases, and I speak as a recovering alcoholic with 19 years of sobriety, where we learn that generally you're a participant, not a pure victim. Yes, there are cases of pure, unadulterated victimization. But in 99.9% of the cases, each side has done something wrong. Each side bears some of the responsibility. And so I am not going to sit here and say the police were absolutely right, as some would have us say. I'm not going to say the police were absolutely wrong. What I am going to say is we're not looking at the underlying societal problems that created this perfect storm, whether you're talking about Michael Brown or you're talking about Eric Garner. What we should be doing is instead of pouring billions of dollars into building prisons and and to having people arrested for minor offenses, we should be pouring all that money into pre-K, K, and all the way up through high school and college education. Because my question is, why is a father of six, and my heart goes out to his children and his uh, whole family, but why is a father of six in a position where he's trying to support his family selling loose cigarettes? That is really the underlying issue that we've got to look at. And why are half a dozen police officers in a city where me and my girlfriend are afraid to go jogging at night uh, focused on uh, stopping and arresting somebody for selling loose okay. cigarettes. All right, let me, let me let me play you a little bit of a clip. The president of the Patrolman Benevolence Association, and I want to encourage police officers, we want to hear from you too at 1-800-223-9797. Rose is on the phone. Please identify yourself um, that way. You know, you don't have to give us your, your real name, your full name, but just if you're on the job, we want to hear from you too how you're feeling about this 1-800-223-9797. Police Commissioner William Bratton has said that respect goes both ways, that the community has to respect police officers and understand they represent the law, and the police officers have to represent the community. They did extensive outreach in Staten Island both this summer with the march that was there with over 5,000 people. I was on the ground with that. I saw it. I've never 
never seen them have outreach to the community to that level and incorporate them in their planning, even down to um, marshals, march marshals from the Na- uh, Nation of Islam, National Action Network, and other organizations. Now, the PBA president this week, this is the union that represents police officers in New York City, essentially said that Eric Garner would be alive today if he had not resisted arrest and i want to play the little clip for you right now we need to teach our children and everyone that you cannot resist arrest even if you believe that the arrest is unjust there's mechanisms to do that there's mechanisms to complain it's not on that corner on that street at that location you cannot resist arrest that's a crime and you will be placed under arrest police officers do not have the option to walk away if the mayor wants to change. And that's what he was saying about that. Israel, what do you think about that? And I, I think that that really reaches at the essence of this question. You said um, you were talking about the execution of his duty. And that's right. The police officer was executing his duty. And that's the problem with policing in this country. Policing in this country is more about enforcing rules on people. And especially, in, let's say, in these communities, right? These are outside oppressors. These are people that are not of the community. They don't live there. They're not residents there. They don't know these people. So not knowing the people in the community, they're interacting with these people aggressively. I have to jump in. Police were very well aware of Eric Garner. He has a long history of more than 30 arrests, and he was well known in the community. I'm not excusing what they do, uh, what they did in this case. I was appalled when I saw the video of the emergency medical technician standing around very lackadaisical and seeming unconcerned and not really taking aggressive action to try to resuscitate this man, not into intervening but I, th- uh, I think everyone was but, horrified by that yeah, and they I were think, suspended but two of them are back on the job but, yeah. but, but jane i think that, that, that there are two sides to this this discussion i think that there are the specifics regarding what happened with respect to eric garner but i think what israel is talking about which we can't ignore and, and goes back to your first point is contextualizing this within the broader discussion about over policing in minority communities across exactly. America. And that's a serious issue. Exactly. So, so as it relates to Eric Garner, yes, he may have been known to the police. And even with Pat Lynch's statement with regard to resisting arrest, you know, we can differ with respect to, you know, whether Mr. Garner resisted arrest. I know that at one point his hands were clearly up, which is ultimately the universal sign for surrender. But even beyond Mr. Garner, there is a serious conversation which needs to be had here about the way that black and brown communities are over police. And I've heard this directly from police officials, top brass police officials across the country. Of course. And I'll give you a perfect example. It's all, all across the country. When I was living in Los Angeles, there is a habit of amongst the um, uh, owners of condos on the beach to go and have a glass of wine as the sun sets. The police do not do anything about it. But if they catch young kids from the inner city out on the beach with an open can of beer, they'll put them face down, spread eagle, and essentially humiliate them. So two systems of justice. There's a total two systems of justice in the country, and it goes beyond race. It's one for the rich and one for everyone else. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Instead of making this more racially divisive, let's look at the fact that we've got a 0.1% oligarchy essentially uh, running the country, and the rest of the 99% are subjected to different rules. Instead of increasing racial divisions, why don't we find commonalities where we're all being subjected to uh, unfairness? This is a city where uh, the men in power caused the subprime mortgage mess that put millions of people out of their homes. All right, no, there's a there's a Jane, there's a lot of issues. I need to go Israel real quick and then I need to go to the phones here. 1-800-223-9797. I think that that the context that you have is the same context as the police have. The context of an outsider looking at a situation that they do not experience. I am the the most in this panel, I am the most experienced in dealing with police. And why do you say that? Why do you say that? I've I've been I've, I've been arrested, I've been incarcerated I've been I've lived in California I've lived in San Diego I've lived in Portland Oregon I've lived in Chicago I've lived in New York and, and you're I'm, a college and, student and now. I'm a, yeah, and I'm, I'm past a college student now but 
anyways, I'm experienced in this. I know exactly what's going on. And the voices of people like me need to be heard and listened to in this conversation. And if you haven't really experienced it, you need to lessen your 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 voice about it and, and open your. OK, but let's bring, let, let me bring it back. OK, there's a there's a lot of underlying issues. We have a limited amount of time. I really want to get back and focus on this on the Eric Garner case. Charles Coleman, there's a lot of people saying that they now do not trust the justice system as an officer of the court as an attorney what do you say to that i've struggled with this since trayvon martin since the george zimmerman case i know there's been a string of cases where we have sort of hung our hopes on the criminal justice system and particularly within communities of color we've felt let down the answer that i have is that we have to continue to uh, you know, and, and I know that on some levels I, I've even struggled with this myself. We have to almost double down our efforts in terms of how engaged we are. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, district attorneys and prosecutors, head prosecutors across the country are elected officials. When we don't necessarily get to the polls and, and place our votes behind those individuals who share our personal philosophies with respect to law enforcement, with respect to how p- police are communi- uh, uh, policing our communities, we set ourselves up in a way For failure. to have these problems. And so I think that we have to, you know, showing up for jury duty, all of these things are involved with civic engagement. And so when we're not civically engaged and we don't get the results that we want, we have to look at what our role was in, you know, causing that outcome. All right. Let me go to Nino from Brooklyn right now. Nino, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, Lisa, I just have one question, um, which I asked earlier, is that why is it with the history of America, with the violence that America has always propagated, why do we feel that? Violence is not a component of social change. When you look at the Boston Tea Party, look at the American Revolution, you look at the Civil War, you look at tra- you look at India, Africa. You know when they had apartheid. Why do we believe that it is not necessary to incorporate some level or some component or some element of violence into the struggle when historically that's how change? But has what occurred? does that? But what does that? But Nino, let me ask you this: What does that actually accomplish? What did that accomplish in Ferguson, where they're burning down well, some no, black-owned I mean, businesses, I'm, burning okay, down the church, about, the church that Michael Brown's father went to? What does the violence actually accomplish? Well, I mean, if you look at the Boston Tea Party, no, I'm not looking at the past. It's twenty, it's 2014, and I, I would like to think that we learn from the past. But what, what in 2014 going into 2015, what does violence accomplish? Just Nothing. tell me that. Um, well, what does it accomplish? I believe, for me personally, I believe that some level of violence. You know, when you when you create that kind of uh, chaos in society's mind and that kind of social disconnect, that scares people and that, that 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 quickens social change because people begin to act. Because I guarantee you, if someone went out there and maybe you know attacked a couple of law enforcement people, and well, you know what, you're, 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 I guarantee you. Well, it, I, I guarantee you, it would spark some. I guarantee you would spark a lot more, Nina. Thank you very much for that. What, what do you say about that? Yeah, well? it would spark martial law. And you got to realize who you're dealing with. If you're dealing with the military-industrial complex and you're dealing with the criminal-industrial complex, you're dealing with all these people. These people have a monopoly on violence. They know how to use force, and you and you can't react forcefully to them. Okay, let me, think, let me ask you this. So Charles, Charles are, are, do the laws exist to get justice, what, people, what the vast majority of people would say is justice in this case? They do. The issue, and I've been saying this is that we cannot try to legislate a mindset. I think that when you talk about over-policing in communities of color, a lot of it deals with the mindset with respect to how black males and how black people are perceived. There's been an over-criminalization of black males in particular, which therefore influences how police and law enforcement interact with them. You can't legislate that mindset. You can't train that mindset. However, what you can do is you can set equal and swift penalties for police who violate black bodies the same way that you would when they violate bodies of members of other ethnic groups. Do you believe if Eric Garner had been white and uh, white and in a different part of Staten Island this had happened? I absolutely believe that he would have been stopped. I believe that New York Police Department uh, representatives are good officers, generally speaking. They said they I, were responding to complaints from the community and business merchants. I there. do right. I do not, however, believe that Eric Garner would have been dealt with in the same manner, with the same level of aggression, had he been someone from another ethnic group. I've spoken to numerous NYPD officers who have openly said, "You know what? When I approach members from certain communities, I'm very mindful about how I interact with them because I know that." 
there are going to be consequences. Right now in America, the consequence for shooting or violating a black body is you get a paid vacation. Pantaleo was on modified leave until his badge and his gun was taken. Darren Wilson was on paid leave until he resigned from the Ferguson Police Department. We've seen this movie before, and in every instance, again, officers are given the benefit of the doubt. Their gun may be taken, their badge may be taken, but their paycheck remains the same. Until that same amount of swift action is taken against these officers, these sorts of incidents will continue to occur. Well, the other solution is badge cams. If we had badge cams, for example, the whole Michael Brown situation wouldn't have caused uh, the polarization that it did because we would have seen exactly what happened. Was he charging the officer or was he raising his hands and surrendering peacefully? So what I see as the big problem, and by the way, I do take exception to the idea that this young man says that I'm uh, incapable or not qualified to weigh in on this subject because I haven't experienced what you have experienced. I'm Puerto Rican and Irish. I have, I've lived all over the country. We're, I've been we're a journalist all Ameri- for listen, 30 we're, years. We're, we're, all, all Americans, we're all Americans and we all, all have humans a right to speak. Okay. And what I want to say is that and you're instead all on of, the panel so everyone has a right to speak. <laughs> and instead of being in right. reactive mode, I think you which mean, is, meant first-hand experience. Yes. Uh, well, I think we've all had first-hand experiences out on the street. As a journalist for 37 years, I can tell you I have. But what I'm saying is we are in reactive mode. Instead of waiting for these horrors to happen and then seeing racial divisions increase, why don't we get badge cams so that we can prevent these okay. kinds of misunderstandings. I had a video in this case. And there, was mean, a, there was a video in this case. But it wasn't a badge cam. That uh, would have provided more information. I, there was no, I don't think there was any question about the authenticity of the video yeah, or of the fine. events that were seen but in the video. But I was talking about Michael and also, Brown. Jane, let me, ju- let, me ju- let me just say this here, too. It's like, I, we, we know how things happen on the streets. Just because an officer has a badge cam, it's like with certain security cams in certain situations, it's not they happen safe, not to be turned on. But it would They happen to be it. a quote-unquote technical the, malfunction at way the critical to do, moment. There's way, you know, there was just an officer fired for failing to turn on his badge cam in another municipality, in another state. All right, that's a, the that's a issue, but I, I want to... Did you want to say something about the... Oh, the, no, the, I just, the you know... I am a proponent of of police wearing badge cams. I, I, I am. However, I also recognize the reality of it, and I don't necessarily know that it's not a multi-tiered approach. Badge cams are good, and it's a start, but we had a video in this instance. It was a clear video. I think that, again, everyone who has any sort of sensibility about anything was shocked at how blind justice was, pun intended, with respect to the fact that there was a video here, and yet there was still a no And despite bell. the video, and from what we've been able to tell from information, there there were four videos, four and different shown, pieces right. of video shown. Yeah, I'm not to the, saying it wasn't the, a tragedy and aberration and a horror. It, it was. What I am saying is that as opposed to waiting for these bad things to happen, there are things, many things, badge camps, that can just be done. one example. Non-lethal, that can be non, done. non-lethal, non-lethal restraining techniques. TJ, do I really have to take a break already? Oh my goodness. All right, you're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldier, and we're getting a lot of calls from, from people. Many of the, some of the groups that we've worked with in the Push for Peace here are calling in, talking about the protests, have been involved in the protests on the streets of New York, objecting to the fact that some people are acting, uh, acting violently and that they are being blamed for it. They feel that they should be separated from the protesters. We're going to get into that as well. We're talking about the Eric Garner case, justice, the law, the police, our community, what's going on right here. And coming up right after the break, now there's a story story that police have been warned that a militant group called the Black Gorilla Family is planning to shoot on-duty officers. Is this just heating up? Is this just another excuse? What is is this hype? Is this real? We're going to get to this. And uh, Abdul, Mike, Eli, Kasim, Roy, Tim, Kevin, everyone else, we're going to try to get to your telephone calls when we come back on Hot 97 Street Soldiers. At Lisa Evers, at Lisa Evers Live, hashtag Eric Garner. And uh, just on a holiday note, we have your chance to win tickets to Christmas in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center December 19th to see Run DMC, LL Cool J, Lecrae, and for the first time, Reverend Run and his son Diggy Simmons performing live on stage. Made hot for you by AT&T, mobilizing your world. I'm Lisa Evers. We're back right after this. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. Monday morning, Chris Rock takes over Ebro in the morning. Yes. Covering your movie Top 5. Top 5, December 12th. Top 5 MCs. Top 5 MCs. Top 5 MCs. Go. Can't say Jay-Z. You can't Can't say say Jay-Z. Can't say Jay-Z. Wow, okay. Ice Cube, KRS-One, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim. Okay. And Sir Mix-A-Lot. Psych. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Chris Rock, Monday, 8 o'clock, Hot 9-7. 
Wake up, New York. Hey, yo, wake up. Ebro in the morning. With Laura Styles and Rosenberg. You dig? Hot 97. No holiday gathering is complete without the crisp, bubbly, refreshing taste of Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash. Ah, another boring holiday dinner. Not today. Try a sip of delicious Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash. Wow! My mouth is a snow globe with cranberry-flavored awesomeness swirling around in a refreshment blizzard! Tis the season! Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash and Classic Sierra Mist, the most refreshing holiday traditions of all. Instant holiday cheer is here. Pick up a 2-liter and a 12-pack of Sierra Mist or Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash at your local store today. SansoneAuto.com Got a car on your holiday shopping list? Then you need to go to Sansone. SansoneAuto.com Everyone gets up to $5,000 off the dealer posted price, plus 0% financing on all 2014 Kia Optimus and more, plus Kia's 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty. SansoneAuto.com Woodbridge, New Jersey. Sansone, number one on Route 1 in Woodbridge, New Jersey, or SansoneAuto.com I'm sure people buy cars elsewhere. I just don't know why. When you decide it's time to go the extra mile and build your future, something changes. Your life becomes extraordinary. And that's what the U.S. Army Reserve is all about. In just one weekend a month and two weeks a year, you'll get an edge in your everyday life. The Army Reserve offers hands-on training in high-tech careers, so your skills grow right along with your mental and physical strength. Covering college costs, assistance with student loans, there are all added benefits of joining the Army Reserve. And with flexible service options, you won't have to give up your day-to-day life. Plus, you could be eligible for an enlistment bonus of up to $20,000. Build your future in the Army Reserve with excellent career training, education benefits, flexible service options, and more. Plus, you'll make a difference in the lives of others, as well as your own. Go the extra mile in your life and visit GoArmyReserve.com to learn more about the Army Reserve. Paid for by the U.S. Army. If it sizzles and crackles and comes from the kitchen, it's breakfast. If the aroma wakes you up, it's breakfast. Have breakfast for breakfast. Fresh made from our kitchen. The Egg McMuffin, only from McDonald's, goes perfect with a fresh brewed cup of McCafe coffee. For a limited time at McDonald's, get any size McCafe coffee for just $1. Made from 100% Arabica beans, it's another way to love McCafe. Prices and participation may vary, a la carte only. Some days you are a conqueror. Look out, world, here I come. Some days you are a survivor. Come on, world, give me your best shot. Some days you just want to crawl back in bed. Hey, world, leave me alone. Fortunately, there is a McDonald's morning egg, sausage, bacon, oatmeal, egg whites, and a great cup of McCafe coffee. There's something for everyone to love at McDonald's. You taste good, world. Start the morning off right with the savory sausage McMuffin with egg sandwich at McDonald's. For a limited time, get two for only $3. Since we're going to New York City next week, I thought I'd give you each a gift a little early. Go ahead, open them. (gasps) Tickets to the Nutcracker at the New York City Ballet? Not just tickets. Best seats in the house, honey. Tickets to see Justin Timberlake in concert. Love that, JT. (gasps) And a food and wine experience at Italy. Yeah, a little quality time for the whole family. Well... Except for the wine part. That's a date for me and mom. Well, all right. Finding something for everyone. Priceless. If you have a MasterCard, you have access to Priceless New York, a collection of amazing experiences throughout the city. No matter what you're looking for, there's a Priceless New York experience for you at Priceless.com slash New York. Use your city double cash MasterCard to purchase your Priceless New York experience today. Don't have the card? Visit city.com slash double cash to learn more. Certain restrictions and terms and conditions apply. Limited quantities available and limited time offers for MasterCard cardholders only. There are great offers from HomeDepot.com every day during Cyber Week. So, let's do Sunday's offer. A Ryobi One Plus four-piece super combo kit. At $129, you save 80 bucks. You won't find a price like this every day. And you won't find this one tomorrow. So go online now before they're gone. Cyber Week savings only on HomeDepot.com. Let's do this. More saving, more doing. That's the power of the Home Depot. Online only. See HomeDepot.com for details. Thanks to Taco Bell, millions of Americans are refusing to be held back by breakfast that take two hands to eat. I need a free hand to repeatedly press the close elevator button on Steve. I need a free hand because my temp job is mostly stapling. I need a free hand to show those construction workers how much I appreciate the compliments. I need a whole breakfast in one hand. You need an AM Crunch Wrap. Steak and eggs, bacon and eggs, or sausage and gravy all wrapped up in a grilled tortilla with a hash brown inside. Only a Taco Bell. At participating locations. 
What up? This is Trey Songz and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. On the gram, Lisa Evers Live, hashtag Eric Garner. We're talking about the grand jury verdict, a decision, I should say, in Staten Island not to charge police officer Daniel Pantaleo with the chokehold death of Eric Garner, the protests that have been going on, the debate about violence. And uh, let me introduce our panel to you and tell you what we're going to be talking about this next segment of Street Soldiers. Joining me in studio, Charles F. Coleman, Jr., former prosecutor, federal civil rights trial attorney, Ebony.com columnist, TV and radio legal commentator at C.F. Coleman Jr. on Twitter. Jane Velez Mitchell, former uh, TV HLN anchor. She's a journalist, veteran TV journalist, best-selling author. She is the content editor now of a website she founded called janeunchained.com. Her Twitter at JVM. Also with us, Israel Wilson, former college student and activist. His Twitter at Israel Deep. And also we're talking right now about a story that is the front page of the Daily News this morning. You can see it online at New York Daily News dot com. It's an exclusive. It says NYPD cops are warned, are being warned that a militant group called the Black Gorilla Family is preparing to shoot on duty police officers. Now coincidentally, this Black Gorilla family that is uh, started in California years and years ago, California prisons, has been most recently very active in Baltimore. They're on a federal trial right now for running the uh, entire Baltimore City Detention Center, and we're joined right now by Ed Mullen. He is the president of the Sergeant Benevolent Association to find out more about this threat. Ed, thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? I'm, I'm doing fine, thank you. How do you know that this threat is legitimate? How did you learn of it? Well, I had probably somewhere in the area between uh, 10 and 12 uh, New York City police officers, sergeants, detectives contact me yesterday and, um, you know, give me copies of what they, uh, you know, are seeing being distributed throughout the precincts. Uh, apparently, what's in today's news, you see an excerpt of a memo that says, read, that has been uh, published all over the NYPD. Um, we don't know exactly where it originated from, but, um, you know, it's uh, enough information that whether it is true or not is to provide every New York City police officer and probably police officers in general with a warning to uh, be alert and be attentive. Uh, we just saw a police officer in Queens about a month or so ago getting hit in the head with an axe, um, and that kind of transpired from the incident that we uh, saw took place up in uh, Canada. So, you know, the current times right now are uh, pretty tumultuous times. And when you get a potential threat along those lines of shooting a uh, uniform on-duty police officer, um, that's a serious enough um, accusation to make in order for everyone to pay attention to. Ed, you know, in, in law enforcement, there's, there's always the talk of how credible is the threat. Is there any evidence of this group being active in the New York area at all? Because from what I've been able to see, they mostly have been active on the East Coast in Baltimore. I personally don't have enough information to um, weigh the credibility of it. Um, I just responded in an effort to make people aware whether this is uh, 100% credible or 15% credible until we know for sure people need to remain vigilant in the course of doing their duties. Um, I'm sure that this uh, department will uh, investigate and um, you know, pursue any kind of uh, information they get um, and, and come to some kind of conclusion if it's credible. And, and if it's not, then great, we'll, all, we'll know for sure. How are police officers feeling in the aftermath of the Staten Island grand jury decision? Well, right now morale is terrible, and, and you know, we're, we're looking at the, uh, the leadership of public officials. And, and to be clear, Lisa, you have to, um, you know, all people should understand the feelings of what's taking place in the grand jury. I get people protest, and I understand Eric Gardner's mom and, and how she feels any mom would, would be, you know, distraught over the loss of a child. Um, but in the end, it becomes a matter of law. It becomes a matter of of a, a grand jury where there's a verdict, 
Um, it, you know, was on video. Everybody wants video. We see the video. You can say it's 100% video. But in the end, that's evidence that's presented. And, you know, in New York State, regardless of the debate, whether it's a chokehold or not, New York State is not um, a state where a chokehold is illegal. So we have to look at the rules of law and what is uh, put into law. I know people are claiming that, you know, the DA's office is cushy with the police. Um, you know, I, I have 30 years of law enforcement experience in the city and worked with all the different DA's. Um, we're really talking about, you know, uh, ethics and morals from any DA. That If you were to bring in the Westchester County DA to handle this, they would follow the same you know, rules of law in order to proceed in the grand jury investigation. So in the end, um, the key is to find better ways to educate both the police and the public because we're all working and looking for the same goals in life, and that's to enjoy the freedoms of this country and the ability to move forward with a uh, quality of life that we all dream about. Ed, do you believe that this uh, threat is directly related to the Garner decision and all the protests that have been happening here in New York? I... I won't rule out that it's uh, you know related to the Gardner decision, but I I think it's bigger than that. If this threat is and perhaps uh, correct, because we're seeing this going across the, the nation. You know, last night in Los Angeles there was you know a protest where there's violence. We, you know, we saw it in you know Chicago and Philadelphia and Boston. We're seeing it all over the place where this is becoming bigger and bigger. And, and ultimately, I, I fault the public officials for being irresponsible. Uh, I, I fault the mayor. And that's sending a clear message. Exactly. is You know, if we're living in a land of laws, whether we like the decisions or not, there's been plenty of decisions that the police haven't liked. There's been plenty of decisions the public hasn't liked. But in the end, it, this is all about public safety in general. And, you know, when the mayor says that, um, you know, he's fearful for his son, with, um, you know, dealing with the police. Um, when you think of the lunacy of that statement, considering that he has a security detail of NYPD detectives and supervisors that are responsible for protecting his family, um, that's pure irresponsibility. Yeah, but Ed, don't you think he was saying that in terms in terms of his son, his son being perceived as a young man of color by police? Well, Lisa, if, if that's what he's saying, then he needs to find better ways to communicate that, because... You know, the way it comes off is is one of irresponsibility, especially in a time where we see protests. And, you know, people have a right to protest, and people have a right to get to and from work and, you know, not have to worry about crossing a bridge. And, um, you know, when you look at his communication on that, well, is, is that... Uh, contributing toward this well do you think they're sending do you think the NYPD sending mixed messages about the protests because in some places they're doing this amoeba thing where people are allowed to go into the streets and other places they have a straight up wall up where you ca- you can't go past it and others they're telling people you know if you don't leave the intersection in five minutes you're getting arrested that this kind of buffet of different tactics is confusing people I, I think you just described it perfectly. It's a buffet of different tactics. And, you know, when it comes to tactics, everything has to be modified and it changes. But, you know, if we look at the history of, of protests, people are generally limited to a certain area. They protest and make it stay there for days. You know, we look back at uh, Zuccotti Park where, you know, that protest went on, you know, for uh, a couple of months. Of, uh, Until they got pepper so, spray. Uh, All how- right, let, let, me, let me let that go and then we'll take the phone calls. Ed, anything else you want to leave us with real quick? No, I, I think real quickly, sir, is that every person, whether it be police or civilian, we, we need to come to common ground for the purpose of moving Exactly. Exactly. Stop and shooting on our people. Exactly. <sighs> common ground. Perfect. That'll work. Right. Ed, listen. I want. I want to thank you very much for coming on the. Uh, you know, coming on the radio and, and speaking on behalf of the police officers, and also for reaching out to the community here, and also to our Hot ninety seven listeners. Even when you know there's going to be disagreement with what you say, but I want to we thank you. Agree to disagree. Always a pleasure, Lisa. Thank All right. Thank you. Thank I, you so much. I want to make a quick point, and we've talked about how we can sort of make the system better, and then I want to sort of try to refocus the discussion on that. 
part of the issue that I think has happened across the country with respect to these grand jury decisions is that you've had local prosecutors who have arguably had a pony in the race or have had a dog in the race. I think that one thing that may have helped both here in Staten Island and in Ferguson is had there been a special prosecutor appointed in either of these cases and the same decision. Independent special prosecutor. Right. An independent special prosecutor come in uh, in either of these cases. I think people may have felt differently about the outcome. I'm not saying that everyone would have liked it. I'm, but I'm saying that with respect to uh, Bob McCullough in, in Ferguson, Ferguson yeah. and then Donovan in I agree with well, that 100%. Look, That's what I'm saying is that this whole situation was set up for failure. We know that Bob McCullough's father was a police officer who was killed by a black man and that many felt that he couldn't be objective. Uh, we know that uh, essentially uh, the prosecutor can get the grand jury to do whatever they want. We know that he waited until nighttime to make the announcement that there was not going to be an indictment of the officer in the death of Michael Brown. This was set up for catastrophe. And let me say this, and this is so important. There are conscious motivations and there are unconscious motivations. You know what? The powers that be love conflict. There are many, many clear-cut, open-and-shut brutality cases that could have been chosen that would have not created the divisions that we saw in Ferguson. I've covered many of them. Caught on tape, clear-cut police brutality, completely unprovoked. Why is it that the powers that be chose this murky case where there was a backstory of a robbery and a shoving of a clerk and a gun of blood of Michael Brown on the inside of the police car. Well, which we didn't find out for sure until after the grand jury. No, but, but we, let me come back to that. The, the cops knew that. Okay, but let me come back to the let me come back to the protests at Israel. The protests are, and I'm going to take some calls about this right now from people that have been out on the streets. The protests, the civil rights movement that we saw through history was a nonviolent movement. Now we're seeing people protest and basically using these cases as, as an excuse to go and wall out and rob, rob places and burn places down. Well, you, well, with, and loot. Well, we're generations removed from that civil rights movement. We've had a breakdown of the black family since then. We've had a breakdown economically since then. These communities are less. And education, to speak to her point, is is not valuable to these children. And these children are not brought up in such a way as to value their lives and the lives of others. And so they engage in these acts. But I am a, I am an example. You know, I got gun smoke tatted on my chest. I was a young. I was a kid. I was in these streets. I did it. Everything that anybody thought about doing, I was out there. I lived it. And now I'm different. And I'm only different because one man, while I was in prison, said, hey, I c- I'm going to put you in college. And in that moment, I stopped fighting. I stopped act. I stopped. I stopped reacting to other people's actions because I believed that I had a future. And if these children felt that they had a future and if these communities felt that they had a future and had a vested interest in the future, they wouldn't be destroying their you community. Are, right, you but let me come back to the exactly. protest. Hold, hold on, hold on. Let me, civil rights I want to come though. back to the protest right, and civil with, rights. With the civil rights piece, though, and I, I think this is important to remember, and, and Lisa, you are obviously the media queen, so you would know about this. And for a lot of media outlets, unfortunately, the peaceful protests weren't what that wasn't the story. The story was the violent protests. And, they, you know, there were news outlets that were actively looking for the violence, particularly in the wake of both announcements, rather than looking for the peaceful protests. It was almost like the peaceful protests wasn't the story. Now, with respect to how we move forward in terms of from a civil rights perspective, what we have to do, what our challenge is today is to really go back to the drawing board, roll up our sleeves and be prepared to do the thought work necessary in order to engineer new solutions to old problems. Exactly. We can't continue to simply sit and march. And, and I'm not necessarily discrediting marches and die-ins. From but a lot of people are saying that the march will happen and then it'll go off the headlines. Right. Well, well that's, and and nothing that's the will really will change. This help I think it's young African-American men in places like Ferguson and Staten Island get better jobs? No. Right. So I, I, think, I think that's where we have to focus. Israel hit the nail on the head. This is frustration because of a lack of a future. That, and we have a less socially mobile society than England where they have a royal... But do we, also, but do we also need to set, send a message, as Ed Mullins referred to, and as the law enforcement has been saying, that whether you like it or not, and we've done these shows here with, with African American police officers many times, when a police officer tells you to do something, of you, have, you to have to comply, comply. with uh, what they say, I, I or disagree. something 
bad is going to happen. These are not. These are not. What about? Hold on one second. Hold on Israel. These are not. Let's go to the attorney here. These are not mutually exclusive approaches. I think that you do the marches and the die-ins and the protests and the demonstrations as a means of raising awareness. At the same time, I think that there has to be an active and targeted campaign in order to sort of create action steps that deals with targeting economics, that deals with targeting the political sphere. I think that it has to occur. Our our involvement involvement in the process. False choices. This whole situation in Ferguson actually betrayed those young people whose primary goal is to get ahead by Putting them in a situation of rooting for a situ- for for a case that yeah, but was Jay, murky. Nobody, the it's people, false the people choices. that burned, the people that burned down those black-owned businesses and that black church that a pastor put all of his life savings into. Nobody put them up to that. Nobody put a gun to their head and said, "Go out and act crazy and create viol- violence and destroy Human your own community." Human behavior is pretty predictable. And what I'm saying is, this entire situation. But we is have a free mess. will, and we have to have personal responsibility. I, I, I Missouri, think- you don't even know if it was protesters that burned down that church. You don't know if it wasn't some other party that burned down the church and that and that. But what I'm it's saying, it's a pretty is, small community, Israel, is, and the people that the people that the are there main, know each other. The main thing is if the police stopped harassing people in these communities that they wouldn't and treated them in the same way that they would treat people in their communities or if they went back and policed where they live and le- and raised a, g- a generation of police from these neighborhoods we wouldn't have these problems all right Eric i got i got i got to get to the job, he wouldn't be selling loose cigarettes I in got the first it. place I, and that's the eric garners of the world need opportunities to get better jobs than well, selling loose cigarettes i got i got to get i got to get to the uh, no no let's okay. we're going to the phones that's it because everyone's been holding on for a very long time uh, karshan from new jersey go right ahead Hi, yes. Um, I originally wanted to say a couple of things that were mentioned um, just now in the conversation that you guys just had. All right. How about Um, one quick comment? Because we got a lot of phone calls. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I just really wanted to say that we the the gentleman that uh, asserted that we should use violence as some force uh, or a way to get our point across. I really just don't think that that may be the most effective way because you guys have been saying we need to learn from our history. History has shown both what peaceful protests, such as what we're doing now, have gotten us, and have only gotten us this far. And then we see what violence has done, where pe- you know the media portray the, the 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 parties like the Black Panther and other parties as radicals and wanting to go against people because they're outside of guns protecting no, their community. Cut, so we see where that has gone as well. So maybe we need to stop participating in this entire system. And as far as doing that. You have to take a constructive way. You maybe you can, you know. How do you not? How do you? How do you not? Par- how do you not participate in the system? I mean, I think that's the question. Let's go to uh, not from Connecticut. Not hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hi, yes, I was calling to just make a statement in regards to what the police officers are being trained to do. I have an ex police officer cousin who I questioned about this thoroughly, and she told me specifically that the police wake up every day, you know, with this training, knowing that anything that they do on the street, they're not going to be held accountable for because they use keywords and key statements to get off for crimes that they do commit, whether they intended to do it the morning that they woke up or whatever have you. You know what I mean? And I think that's what the problem is. The police are given too much authority over young people's lives and everybody's lives and they're not the ones who are going to be held accountable for anything well, that they're doing. Everything. All right, well that's a, that's a, there's a there's a question about that with with accountability. Let's go to um Eli from Brooklyn right now. Eli, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Uh good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Uh, How you doing? I'm I'm well. I'm well. Um I, you, I don't trust the justice system. You can't just trust the justice system because the justice system is designed to protect law enforcement. Okay? In, in in every situation. There will not be an indictment on this officer that shot a Kai Gurley. And as far as Ed Mullins, you know, uh, um, the mayor has a right to be fearful for his son in, uh, encountering police officers because that could have been the mayor's son in that stairwell. And what would have happened if the cop shot him? 
Okay, that's it. All right, so some good points and some good questions. And, and also our condolences to the family of Akai Gurley, especially to his two-year-old daughter and his domestic partner and his, his immediate family members and friends there. That case is going to uh, a grand jury, according to Brooklyn DA Ken Thompson. I just, I just want to come back to the violence because there's a lot of phone calls about that, Charles Coleman. When you look at the history of the civil, you look at the history of the civil rights movement, people were murdered, people were hung, homes were firebombed, lives were threatened, there were assassinations, and there's still wasn't rioting and looting i think that from the movement leaders i think what people have to understand is that and 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 when you look at the history of this country uh communities of color have been terrorized since we've had communities of color nevertheless when you talk about a movement that affects change again it has to happen on a multitude of levels you do have your protests you do have your demonstrations but they have an end they have a targeted goal in the case of the civil rights era of the 60s it was about economic equality it was about economic uh uh, progression and i think jane talked a little bit about that with respect to the need to create jobs the need to provide people with jobs and as a result of that it was you had the civil rights act of 1964 which started you know under the impetus of president kennedy and was ultimately, you know, brought into law under President Johnson. What we need after the demonstrations and the protests are targeted legislative goals that will allow for better opportunities and really level the playing field with respect to economics and criminal justice and social justice issues in communities of color. I think that's what we're going to talk about next week here on Street Soldiers. What's what is the action plan going to be? Let's go right now to the phones. We have an NYPD officer right now. Um, Officer, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. Uh, my comment is, uh, listening to this conversation, I've been on this department for well over 20 years, and I've been through Crown Heights, Washington Heights, now this. Now, A, I- I'm happy to see that there's protests, but we don't have these opportunities in other countries. What I do see, though, is that it's the wrong course of action. Many of these individuals are frustrated, but burning down schools, blaming other people is, is inaccurate. Uh, when I grew up, I had a choice to go to school or not go to school, and those that uh, were my friends and they go to school, they're the ones that are in the corner that are actually back then was a quarter, and now they're asking for a dollar. To, to blame this on police officers, I think it's unfair and inappropriate. A lot are, of are you cons- individual actions that they decided not to go to school, not to better themselves, and now they're frustrated because they find themselves in a, in a position where they can't make a good income. So, so do you agree with? So, so you agree with that? Hold on, one second, Israel, please. So, so officer, so you you agree with the statement that which was said about Michael Brown? If he hadn't hadn't gotten into a confrontation with a police officer, he probably would have been charged with something and still been alive. And also, if Eric Garner had not resisted arrest, he would still be alive. Do you believe that? Well, it's funny because I've been on both sides. I've been stopped by white officers, and I'm not white. I'm Hispanic. And I know this much. If he tells me to stop, I stop. Can I have protested the issue even though I felt something was inappropriate? Absolutely. But I know I have to follow the rule of law. And in addition to that, you know, either way, no one wins in this. Uh, the, the family of the individual that, 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 that was killed, the officer has to live with that. And then the greater impact on society. It's not an us versus them society. We're here to, to provide a service, to provide the people of the city with the rule of law at peace. Unlike being in the military in other countries where you can't protest. Protest will get you killed. So I, I see both sides. I, I think this has to come to a mutual understanding where the people respect the police and vice versa. All right, officer, I, wa- I want to I end on that note because unfortunately we, we are out of time for the show. But I want to thank you for calling in. I want to thank uh, Sergeant's Benevolent Association, Ed Mullins, from coming, uh, for calling in and talking with our audience. And I really want to thank our panel here in studio. Very hot conversation. Charles F. Coleman, Jr., at C.F. Coleman, Jr., former prosecutor, federal civil rights trial attorney, Jane Velez Mitchell. You've seen her on TV for many, 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 many months, many years. Decades. How about that? (laughs) Okay, how about that one? All right. And uh, she's the founder. Check out her new website. She um, She's the content editor and founder of JaneUnchained.com. A lot of interesting stories there. And you know Jane doesn't back down from anybody. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. in studio. We appreciate it. Also, Israel Wilson, uh, former college student and activist. Thank you so much for coming in. And uh, we, what's we your free minds, WeFreeMinds.com. We thank you so much for being with us. And I want to thank everybody that was on the phones. And everybody we didn't get to, uh, Derek, Ray, Tim, Kevin, Mike. And Abdul, I'm I'm so sorry we didn't get to uh, any of your telephone calls, but I want to thank you for calling in. And um, the conversation will continue on Twitter at Lisa Evers, Instagram Lisa Evers Live, hashtag Eric Garner. And we want to thank 
Fun Fusion for making this episode of Street Soldiers hot. Like Fun Fusion's page and enter to win a Fun Fusion staycation with one night hotel stay, $200 towards gaming credits to game all day long. And I want to thank my whole crew here at Hot 97. I especially want to thank the whole Hot 97 team. When something like this happens, oh yeah, I lost my voice this week, <laughs> but it's coming back. Um, I want to thank our whole Hot 97 team this week. You have a lot of choices about what you listen to and about what outlets you go to, but when this happened, the Eric Garner uh, grand jury decision became public. They reached out to me immediately. Funkmaster Flex, shout out to you. Tat Wizza, um, Ebro, the whole morning show crew, Jason, the producer, everybody um, here at Hot 97. Dion Levingston, our general manager, Jay Dixon, Skip Dillard, TT Torres, um, all of you trying to make it possible for us to allow our audience to express their outrage, their emotions, and get the accurate information. So I want to thank all of you for just working together and doing what we do to get the word out on the streets and to get the real deal, the real information there. Something you only find right here on your Hot 97. So thank you to my whole team here. Uh, Digital Director Jeffrey Thacker, Team Lisa, hashtag Team Lisa, Board Op, the one and only TJ, 2015 calendar coming soon, ladies. Digital Assistant, my Executive Producer, Tireless, the one and only Tone Capone, Rose D, Raphael, and my crew, you know, we go hard 24-7. So I want to thank all of you at Michael Medium as well. Backup and Twitter at Lisa Evers, Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. You can hear this show again on LisaEvers.com in just a few minutes. TJ is going to post it up there for us. Check me out on the Fox 5 News at 10 tonight, 5 and 10 during the week. Comments, hit me up, Lisa at Hot97.com, Lisa at Hot97.com. Hit up Tone if you want to be a guest on the show. Tone, the number four real at gmail.com tone the number four real at gmail.com next Sunday we're going to be talking about an action plan what are the real solutions what do we need to have happen the violence is clearly not the answer it's just going to end up with more people arrested with more negative media stories and a distraction from the real issues and the real progress so have a great week everybody remember use your mind it's your best weapon I hope it's your only weapon I'm Lisa Evers (laughs) push for peace peace Christmas is on us. Send Digicel Minutes to the Caribbean to win $5,000 each week. Also, free American Airlines flies and a chance to win a brand new car.